5. Race of blossoms, plants, and singing birds. None of the animals could have had the social qualities or the finer instincts that are so common among animals of the present day. There were probably no social animals like our ants and bees, no very singing creatures, probably no forms that went in herds. Life was a dull round of uncard for birth, cruel self-seeking, and of death. The animals at best were clumsy, poorly endowed creatures, with hardly more intelligence than our alligators. The little thread of higher life begun in the microlists and drone atherium, the little insect-eating mammals of the forest, is visible all through this time. It held in its warm blood the powers of the time to come, but it was an insignificant thing among the mighty cold-blooded reptiles of these ancient lands. There are several species of them, but they are all small, and had no chance to make headway against the older masters of the earth. The Jurassic or first part of the reptilian time shades insensibly into the second part, called the Cretaceous, which immediately follows it. During this period the lands were undergoing perpetual changes, rather deep seas came to cover much of the land surfaces, and there is some reason to believe that the climate of the earth became much colder than it had been, at least in those regions where the great reptiles had flourished. It may be that it is due to a colder climate that we owe the rapid passing away of this gigantic reptilian life of the previous age. The reptiles, being cold-blooded, cannot stand even a moderate winter cold, save when they are so small that they can crawl deep into crevices in the rocks to sleep the winter away, guarded from the cold by the warmth of the earth. At any rate these gigantic animals rapidly ceased to be, so that by the middle of the Cretaceous period they were almost all gone, except those that inhabited the sea and at the end of this time they had shrunk to a lizards in size. The birds continued to increase and to become more like those of our day, their tails shrink away. Their long bills lose their teeth, they are mostly water birds of large size, and there are none of our songsters yet, still they are for the first time perfect birds, and no longer half lizard in their nature. The greatest change in the plants is found in the coming of the broad-leaved trees belonging to the families of our oaks, maples, etc., now for the first time our woods take on their aspect of today, pines and other cone bearers mingle with the more varied foliage of nut-bearing or large seed trees. Curiously enough, we lose sight of the little mammals of the earlier time. This is probably because there is very little in the way of land animals of this period preserved to us. There are hardly any mines or quarries in the beds of this age to bring these fossils to a light. In the most of the other rocks there is more to tempt man to explore them for coal ores or building stones. In passing from the Cretaceous to the Tertiary, we enter upon the threshold of our modern world. We leave behind all the great wonders of the old world, the gigantic reptiles, the forests of tree ferns, the seas full of ammonites and belemnites, and come among the no less wonderful but more familiar modern forms. We come at once into a lands and seas where the backboned animals are the ruling beings. The reptiles had shrunk to a few low forms, the small lizards, the crocodiles and alligators, the tortoises and turtles, and, as if to mark more clearly the banishment of this group from their old empire, the serpents, which are peculiarly degraded forms of reptiles which have lost the legs they once had, came to be the commonest reptiles of the earth. The first mammals that had no pouches now appear, in earlier times, the suck-giving animals all belong to the group that contains our possums kangaroos, etc. These creatures are much lower and feebler than the mammals that had no pouches, although they have probably been on the earth two or three times as long as the higher mammals. They have never attained any eminent success whatever, they cannot endure cold climates, none of them are fitted for swimming as are the seals and whales, 
or for flying as the bats, or for burrowing as the moles, they are dull, weak things, which are not able to contend with their stronger, better organized, higher kindred, they seem not only weak, but unable to fit themselves to many different kinds of existence, in the lower part of the tertiary rocks, we find at once a great variety of large beasts that gave suck to their young, it is likely that these creatures had come into existence in a somewhat earlier time in other lands, where we have not been able to study the fossils, for to make their wonderful forms slowly, as we believe them to have been made, would require a very long time. It is probable that during the Cretaceous time, in some land where we have not yet had a chance to study the rocks, these creatures grew to their varied forms, and that in the beginning of the tertiary time, they spread into the regions where we find their bones. Beginning with the tertiary time, we find these lower kinsmen of man, through whom man came to be. The mammals were marked by much greater simplicity and likeness to each other than they now have. There were probably no monkeys, no horses, no bulls, no sheep, no goats, no seals, no whales, and no bats. All these animals had many fingered feet. There were no cloven feet like those of our bulls, and no solid feet as our horses have. Their brains, which by their size give us a general idea of the intelligence of the creature, are small, hence we conclude that these early mammals were less intelligent than those of our day. It would require volumes to trace the history of the growth of these early mammals, and show how they, step by step, came to their present higher state. We will take only one of the simplest of these changes, which happens to be also the one which we know best. This is the change that led to the making of our common horses which seem to have been brought into a life on the continent of North America. The most singular thing about our horses is that the feet have but one large toe or finger, the hoof, the hard covering of which is the nail of that extremity. Now it seems hard to turn the weak, five-fingered feet of the animals of the lower tertiary feet which seem to be better fitted for tree climbing than anything else into feet such as we find in the horse. Yet the change is brought about by easy stages that lead the successive creatures from the weak and loose-jointed foot of the ancient forms to the solid, single-fingered horse's hoof, which is wonderfully well-fitted for carrying a large beast at a swift speed, and is so strong a weapon of defense that an active donkey can kill a lion with a well-delivered kick. The oldest of these creatures that lead to the horses is called Eohippus or beginning horse. This fellow had on the forefeet four large toes, each with a small hoof and fifth imperfect one which answered to the thumb, the hind feet had gone further in the change, for they each had but three toes, each with hoofs, the middle two hoof larger and longer than the others, a little later toward our day we find another advance in the orohippus, when the little imperfect thumb has disappeared, and there are only four toes on the forefeet and three on the hind, yet later we had the mesohippus or halfway horse, there are still three toes on the hind foot, but one more of the fingers of the forefeet has disappeared, this time it is the little finger that goes, leaving only a small bone to show that its going was by a slow shrinking. The creature now has three little hoofs on each of its feet. Still nearer our own time comes the myopus, which shows the two side hoofs on each foot shrinking up so that they do not touch the ground, but they still bear little hoofs. Lastly, about the time of man's coming on the earth, appears his faithful servant, the horse, in which those little side hoofs have disappeared leaving only two little, splint, bones to mark the place where these side hooks belong. Thus, step by step, our horse's feet were built up, while these parts were changing. The other parts of the animals were also slowly altering. They were at first smaller than our horses, 
some of them not as large as an ordinary Newfoundland dog, others as small as foxes, as if to remind us of his old shape. Our horses now and then, but rarely, have, in place of the little splint bones above the hoof, two smaller hoofs, just like the foot of my Iapus. Sometimes these are about the size of a silver dollar. On the part that receives the shoe and horses are shod. In this way, my slow made changes, the early mammals pass into the higher, out of one original part are made limbs as different as the feet of the horse, the wing of a bat, the paddle of a whale, and the hand of man. So with all the parts of the body the forms change to meet the different uses to which they are put. At the end of this long promise, which was written in the very first animals, comes man himself, in form closely akin to the lower animals, but in mind immeasurably apart from them. We can find every part of man's body in a little different shape in the monkeys, but his mind is of a very different quality, while his lower kindred cannot be made to advance in intelligence any more than man himself can grow a horse's foot or a bat's wing. He is constantly going higher and higher in his mental and moral growth. So far we have found but few traces of man that lead us to suppose that he has been for a long geological time on the earth. Yet there is good evidence that he has been here for a hundred thousand years or more. It seems pretty clear that he has changed little in his body in all these thousands of generations. The earliest remains show us a large brain creature, who used tools and probably had already made a servant of fire, which so admirably aids him in his work. Besides the development of this wonderful series of animals, that we may call in a certain way our kindred, there have been several other remarkable advances in this tertiary time, this age of crowning wonders in the Earth's history. The birds have gone forward very rapidly, it is likely that there were no songsters at the first part of this period, but these singing birds have developed very rapidly in later times. Among the insects the most remarkable growth is among the ants, the bees, and their kindred. These creatures had very wonderful habits, they combine together for the making of what we may call states. They care for their young, they wage great battles, they keep slaves, they domesticate other insects and in many ways their acts resemble the doings of man, coming at about the same time as man. These intellectual insects help to mark this later stage of the earth as the intellectual period in its history. Now for the first time creatures are on the earth which can form societies and help each other in the difficult work of living. Among the mollusks, the most important change is in the creation of the great, strong swimming squids, the most remarkable creatures of the sea. Some of these have worms that can stretch for 50 feet from tip to tip. Among the plants, the most important change has been in the growth of flowering plants, which have been constantly becoming more plenty, and the plants which bear fruits have also become more numerous. The broad-leaved trees seem to be constantly gaining on the forests of narrow-leaf cone bearers, which had in an earlier day replaced the forests of ferns. In these tertiary ages, as in the preceding times of the earth, the lands and seas were much changed in their shape. It seems that in the earlier ages the land had been mostly in the shape of large islands grouped close together where the continents now are. In this time, these islands grew together to form the united lands of Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, and the twin American continents, so that, as life rose higher, the earth was better fitted for it. Still there were great troubles that it had to undergo. There were at least two different times during the tertiary age termed glacial periods, times when the ice covered a large part of the northern continents, compelling life of all sorts to abandon great regions, and to find new places in more southern lands. Many kinds of animals and plants seem to have been destroyed in these journeys, but these times of trial, 
by removing the weaker and less competent creatures, made room for new forms to arise in their places. All advance in nature makes death necessary, and this must come to races as well as to individuals if the life of the world is to go onward and upward, looking back into the darkened past, of which we yet know but little compared with what we would like to know. We can see the great armies of living beings led onward from victory to victory toward the higher life of our own time. Each age sees some advance, though death overtakes all its creatures, those that escape their actual enemies or accident, fall a prey to old age, volcanoes, earthquakes, glacial periods, and a host of other violent accidents sweep away the life of wide regions, yet the host moves on under a control that lies beyond the knowledge of science. Man finds himself here as the crowning victory of this long war, for him all this life appears to have striven, in his hands lies the profit of all its toil and pain, surely this should make us feel that our duty to all these living things, that have shared in the struggle that has given man his elevation, is great, but above all, great is our duty to the powers that have been placed in our bodies and our minds, the pitch lake in the West Indies from at last, I see Kingsley, the pitch lake. Like most other things, owes its appearance on the surface to no convulsion or vagary at all, but to a most slow, orderly, and respectable process of nature, by which buried vegetable matter, which would have become peat, and finally brown coal, in a temperate climate, becomes, under the hot tropics oil, asphalt and oil, continually oozing up beneath the pressure of the strata above it, as we neared the shore. We perceive that the beach was black with pitch, and the breeze being off the land, the asphalt smell not unpleasant came off to welcome us. We rode in and saw in front of a little row of wooden houses a tall mulatto, in blue policeman's dress, gesticulating and shouting to us. He was the ward policeman, and I found him as I did all the colored police able and courteous, shrewd and trusty. These police are excellent specimens of what can be made of the negro, or half-negro, if he be but first drilled and then given a responsibility which calls out his self-respect. He was warning our crew not to run aground on one or other of the pitch reefs, which here take the place of rocks. A large one, a hundred yards off on the left, has been almost all dug away, and carried to New York or to Paris to make asphalt pavement. The boat was run ashore, under his directions, on a spit of sand between the pitch, and when she ceased bumping up and down in the muddy surf. We scrambled out into a world exactly the hue of its inhabitants of every shade, from jet black to copper brown. The pebbles on the shore were pitch. A tide pool close by was enclosed in pitch, a four eyes was swimming about in it, staring up at us, and when we hunted him, tried to escape, not by diving, but by jumping on shore on the pitch, and scrambling off between our legs, while the policeman, after profoundest courtesies, was gone to get a mule cart to take us up to the lake and planks to bridge its water channels. We took a look round at the oddest of corners of the earth. In front of us was the unit of civilization, the police station, wooden, on wooden stilts as all well-built houses are here, to ensure a draught of air beneath them. We were, of course, asked to come in and sit down, but preferred looking about, under our umbrellas, for the heat was intense. The soil is half pitch, half brown earth, among which the pitch wheels in and out as tallow wheels from a candle. It is always in slow motion under the heat of the tropic sun, and no wonder if some of the cottages have sunk right and left in such a treacherous foundation. A stone or brick house could not stand here, but wood and palm thatch are both light and tough enough to be safe. Let the ground give way as it will. The soil, however, is very rich. 
The pitch certainly does not injure vegetation, though plants will not grow actually in it. The first plants which caught our eyes were pineapples, for which La Brea is famous. The heat of the soil, as well as the air, brings them to special perfection. They grow about anywhere, and protected by hedge or fence, for the Negroes here seem honest enough, at least toward each other, and at the corner of the house was a bush worth looking at, for we had heard of it for many a year. It bore prickly, heart-shaped pods an inch long, filled with seeds coated with a red waxy pulp. This was a famous plant by Xeorelena Rucau, and that pulp was the well-known anotodye of commerce. In England and Holland it is used nearly, I believe, to color cheeses, but in the Spanish main to color human beings. The Indian of the Orinoco prefers paint to clothes, and when he has out himself from head to foot, considers himself in full dress, whether for war or dancing. Doubtless he knows his own business best from long experience. Indeed, as we stood broiling on the shore, we began somewhat to regret that European manners and customs prevented our adopting the Garalone and Arawak fashion. The mule cart arrived, the lady of the party was put into it on a chair, and slowly bumped and rattled past the corner of Dundonald Street so named after the old sea hero, who was, in his lifetime, full of projects for utilizing the same pitch and up and pitch road, with a pitch gutter on each side. The pitch in the road has been, most of it, laid down by hand and is slowly working down the slight incline, leaving pools and ruts full of water, often invisible, because covered with a film of brown pitch dust, and so letting in the unwary walker over his shoes. The pitch in the gutter bank is in its native place, and as it's way slowly out of the soil into the ditchy knot reefs and lumps, we could watch, in little, the process which has produced the whole deposit probably the whole lake itself. A bullet cart, laden with pitch, came jolting down past us and we observe that the lumps, when the fracture is fresh, have all a drawn-out look, that the very air bubbles in them, which are often very numerous, are all drawn out likewise, long and oval, like the air bubbles in some ductile lavas, on our left, as we went on, the bush was low, all of yellow cassia and white hibiscus, and tangled with lovely convolvulus like creepers, eponoia and echites, with white, purple or yellow flowers, on the right were negro huts and gardens, fewer and fewer as we went on, all rich with fruit trees, especially with oranges, hung with fruit of every hue, and beneath them, of course, the pineapples of La Brea, everywhere along the road grew, seemingly wild here, that pretty low tree, cashew, with rounded yellow veined leaves and little green flowers, followed by a quaint pink and red striped pear, from which hangs, at the larger and lower end, a kidney-shaped bean which bold folk eat when roasted, but woe to those who try it when raw, for the acrid oil blisters the lips, and even while the beans are roasting the fumes of the oil will blister the cook's face if she holds it too near the fire, as we went onward up the gentle slope the rise is 138 feet in rather more than a mile, the ground became more and more full of pitch, and the vegetation poorer and more rushy, till it resembled, on the whole, that of an English fen, an eponoia or two and a scarlet-flowered dwarf heliconia, kept up the tropic type, as does a stiff brittle fern about two feet high. We picked the weeds, which looked like English mint or basil, and found that most of them had three longitudinal nerves in each leaf, and were really melastomas, though dwarfed into a far meaner habit than that of the noble forms we saw at Chaguanas, and again on the other side of the lake, on the right, too, in a hollow, was a whole wood of grugri palms, gray-stemmed, gray-leaved, 
and here and there a patch of white or black roseau rose gracefully eight or ten feet high among the reeds, the plateau of pitch now widened out, and the whole ground looked like an asphalt pavement, half overgrown with marsh-loving weeds, whose roots feed in the sloppy water which overlies the pitch, but, as yet, there was no sign of the lake, the incline, though gentle, shuts off the view of what is beyond, this last lip of the lake has surely overflowed, and is overflowing still, though very slowly, its furrows all curved downward, and its island in fact, as one of our party said, a black glacier, the pitch, expanding under the burning sun of day, must needs expand most toward the line of least resistance that island downhill, and when it contracts again under the coolness of night, it contracts, surely, from the same cause, more downhill than uphill, and so each particle never returns to the spot whence it started, but rather drags the particles above it downward toward itself, at least, so it seemed to us, thus may be explained the common mistake which is noticed by Masros, Wall and Sawkins in their admirable description of the lake, all previous descriptions refer the bituminous matter scattered over the Lobrea district, and especially that between the village and the lake, two streams which had issued at some former epoch from the lake, and extended into the sea, this supposition is totally incorrect, as solidification would probably have ensued before it had proceeded one-tenth of the distance, and such of the asphalt as has undoubtedly escaped from the lake has not advanced more than a few yards, and always presents the curved surfaces already described, and never appears as an extended sheet, agreeing with the statement as a whole, I nevertheless cannot but think it probable that a great deal of the asphalt, whether it be in large masses or in scattered veins, may be moving very slowly downhill, from the lake to the sea, by the process of expansion by day and contraction by night, and may be likened to a caterpillar, or rather caterpillars innumerable, progressing by expanding and contracting their rings, having strength enough to crawl downhill, but not strength enough to back uphill again, at last we surmounted the last rise, and before us lay the famous lake not at the bottom of a depression, as we expected, but at the top of a rise, whence the ground slopes away from it on two sides, and rises from it very slightly on the two others, the black pool glared and glittered in the sun, a group of islands, some twenty yards wide, were scattered about the middle of it, beyond it rose a double forest of Moraki fan palms, and to the right of them highwood with giant mundins and undergrowth of cocorite a paradise on the other side of the Stygian pool, we walked, with some misgivings, onto the asphalt, and found it perfectly hard, in a few steps we were stopped by a channel of clear water, with tiny fish and water beetles in it, and, looking round, saw that the whole lake was intersected with channels, so unlike anything which can be seen elsewhere that it is not easy to describe them, conceive a crowd of mushrooms, of all shapes, from ten to fifty feet across, closed together side by side, their tops being kept at exactly the same level, their rounded rims squeezed tight against each other, then conceive water poured on them so as to fill the parting seams, and in the wet season, during which we visited it, to overflow the top somewhat, thus would each mushroom represent, tolerably well, one of the innumerable flat asphalt bosses, which seem to have sprung up each from a separate center, while the parting seams would be of much the same shape as those in the asphalt, broad and shallow atop, and rolling downward in a smooth curve, till they are at bottom mere cracks from two to ten feet deep, whether these cracks actually close up below, and the two contiguous masses of pitch become one, cannot be seen, as far as the eye goes down, they are two, though pressed close to each other, Masros, 
Wall and Sawkins explain the odd fact clearly and simply. The oil, they say, which the asphalt contains when it rises first, evaporates in the Sunday of course most on the outside of the heap, leaving a thorough coat of asphalt, which has, generally, no power to unite with the corresponding coat of the next mass. Meanwhile Mr. Manross, an American gentleman, who has written a very clever and interesting account of the lake, seems to have been so far deceived by the curved and squeezed edges of these masses that he attributes to each of them a revolving motion, and supposes that the material is continually passing from the center to the edges, when it rolls under, and rises again in the middle. Certainly the strange stuff looks, at the first glance, as if it were behaving in this way, and certainly, also, his theory would explain the appearance of sticks and logs in the pitch, but Masros, Wall and Sawkins say that they had observed no such motion, nor did we, and I agree with them, that it is not very obvious to what force, or what influence, it could be attributable, we must, therefore, seek some other way of accounting for the sticks which utterly puzzled us, and which Mr. Manross well describes as, numerous pieces of wood, which, being involved in the pitch, are constantly coming to the surface, they are often several feet in length, and five or six inches in diameter, on reaching the surface they generally assume an upright position, one end being detained in the pitch, while the other is elevated by the lifting of the middle, they may be seen at frequent intervals over the lake, standing up to the height of two or even three feet, they look like stumps of trees protruding through the pitch, but their parvenu character is curiously betrayed by a ragged cap of pitch which invariably covers the top, and hangs down like hound's ears on either side, whence do they come, have they been blown onto the lake, or left behind by man, or are they fossil trees, integral parts of the vegetable stratum below which is continually rolling upward, or are they of both kinds, I do not know, only this is certain, as Masros, Wall and Sawkins hath wanted out, that not only, the purer varieties of asphalt, such as approach or are identical with asphalt glance, have been observed, though not, I think, in the lake itself, in isolated masses, where there was little doubt of their proceeding from ligneous substances of larger dimensions, such as roots and pieces of trunks and branches, but, moreover, that, it is also necessary to admit a species of conversion by contact, since pieces of wood included accidentally in the asphalt, for example, by dropping from overhanging vegetation, are often found partially transformed into the material, this is a statement which we verified again and again, as we did the one which follows, namely, that the hollow bubbles which abound on the surface of the pitch generally contain traces of the lighter portion of vegetation, and are manifestly derived from leaves, etc. which are blown about the lake by the wind, and are covered with asphalt, and, as they become asphalt themselves, give off gases which form bubbles round them, but how is it that those logs stand up out of the asphalt? with asphalt caps and hounds ears as Mr. Manross well phrases it on the tops of them, we pushed on across the lake, over the planks which the Negroes laid down from island to island, some, meanwhile, preferred a steeple chase with water jumps, after the fashion of the midshipmen on a certain second visit to the lake, how the Negroes grinned delight and surprise at the vagaries of English lads a species of animal altogether new to them, and how they grinned still more when certain state and portly dignitaries caught the infection and proved by more than one good leak that they too had been English schoolboys, alas, long, long ago. So, whether by bridging, leaping, or waiting, we arrived at the little islands, and found them covered with a thick, low scrub, deep sedge, 
and among them penguins, like huge pineapples without the apple, gray wild pines, parasites on Matapolos, which, of course, have established themselves, like robbers and vagrants as they are, everywhere, a true holly, with box-like leaves, and a rare cocoa plum, very like the holly in habit, which seems to be all but confined to these little patches of red earth, afloat on the pitch, out of the scrub, when we were there, flew off two or three night jars, very like our English species, save that they had white in the wings, and on the second visit one of the midshipmen, true to the English boy's bird's nesting instinct, found one of their eggs, white spotted, in a grass nest, passing these little islands, which are said I know not how truly to change their places and number, we came to the very fountains of sticks, to that part of the lake where the asphalt is still oozing up, as the wind set toward us, we soon became aware of an evil smell petroleum and sulfuretted hydrogen at once which gave some of us a headache, the pitch here is yellow and white with sulfur foam, so are the water channels, and out of both water and pitch innumerable bubbles of gas arise, loathsome to the smell, we became aware that the pitch was soft under our feet, we left the impression of our boots, and if we had stood still a while, we should soon have been ankle deep, no doubt there are spots where, if a man stayed long enough, he would be slowly and horribly engulfed, but, as Mr. Manross says truly, in no place is it possible to form those bowl-like depressions round the observer described by former travelers. What we did see is that the fresh pitch oozes out at the lines of least resistance, namely, in the channels between the older and more hardened masses, usually at the upper ends of them, so that one may stand on pitch comparatively hard, and put one's hand into pitch quite liquid, which is flowing softly out, like some ugly fine goid growth, such as may be seen in old wine cellars into the water, one such pitch fungus had grown several yards in length in the three weeks between our first and second visit, and on another, some of our party performed exactly the same feat as Mr. Manross, in one of the star-shaped pools of water, some five feet deep, a column of pitch had been forced perpendicularly up from the bottom, on reaching the surface of the water it had formed a sort of center table, about four feet in diameter, but without touching the sides of the pool, the stem was about a foot in diameter, I leaked out on this table, and, 